Welcome to RV Out West. I'm your host, Brooks. My family of four's base camp is located in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, and our RV adventures radiate from there. I'm relatively new to RVing, and a few years ago, I convinced my wife that for an anniversary present, we should buy a used tent trailer from some friends of ours. Ever since then, we have fallen head over heels for the RV life, and we now find ourselves towing a 26-foot Jayco travel trailer. So grab yourself a mug of coffee and join us as we discuss RVing around the West. From sweet camping spots, gear and equipment, to tips and tricks, we've got you covered. We are RV Out West. RV maintenance, we all know, is something that needs to be done to protect our trailers and motorhomes. But at times, it can also feel a bit overwhelming. We are chatting with Joe Testa today. He's certified with the National RV Inspectors Association. Joe is an author, advisor, consultant to RV enthusiasts, both new and experienced. With over 15 years in the RV industry, Joe is going to share with us his tips and techniques for RV maintenance. His book, RV Inspection and Essential Info, can easily be found on Amazon in both print and as a Kindle edition. Learn more about Joe over at rvmentor.com. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today on RV Out West. Sure, glad to be here. Always glad to share my knowledge. Well, I appreciate that. So starting with that then, can you please share with us what got you started in RVing? Yeah, so about 15 years ago, there, there's an organization here in central Ohio. Um, it's called Wheels. And what they do is they get vehicles that are donated to them. And then they fix them and resell them. And they use that to help inner city youth. And we were there, we worked with that organization doing some volunteer work. We were there and they had a 1987 Mallard RV that showed up in the parking lot. They wanted $5,000 for it. And the wife and I kind of looked at each other and went, we've been camping for years. Do we want to go down the road of having an RV? And this was in 2007. So it was 20 years old at that point. We kind of looked at each other, went and looked at the inside, and we said, back in those days, they made them the last. Let's spend the money and buy it. I had recently sold a company I had built, an IT company, so we had some cash flow, so we went ahead and spent the money, and that's how we got into RVing. When the two of you were discussing that, Mallard, were you both all in? Or- we were pretty much both all, all in. Um, we're both veterans. That's how okay. we met. We met in the Army back in the early 80s. So we did our fair share of sleeping on the ground in pup tents and things of that sort while in the military. So um, after leaving the military, we did some camping, tent camping, and we both got to that point in our age where we're like, um, we need to, if we're going to do this camping thing, we need to have a real bed. Yeah. That's the big thing. It was just getting off the ground. I mean, I've done the ground. I've done it. I'm happy to have a mattress now. Yeah, been there, done that, move on. Yep. Can you tell me a bit about your book, RV Inspections and Essential Information? Sure. So um, I have been contemplating, and it it was on my bucket list to publish a book at some point in my life. And I had, had no idea when or what it was going to be. But after getting into being an RVer for so many years, realizing how much I knew and it was time to share that knowledge with others. So as an R- certified RV inspector through the RV uh, Inspection Association, NRVIA, um, I decided to go ahead and start putting down some of that information that I've learned by being an RVer and 
having all of that time and what I've learned about doing inspections. So I decided to put all of that in there. The essential info is kind of that stuff you need to know as an RV newbie. And the, the majority of the book is about RV inspections and all the things that I go through and check on both new and used RVs. Talking to your younger self now, what do you wish you had known about kind of RV maintenance and ownership when you first started RVing? Yeah, so that 87 Mallard, the reality is I ruined it because I did not know about things like you have to go and seal the roof. Otherwise, the water will leak in and it will cause an unbelievable amount of damage. That's probably the one thing I wish I knew it when I first bought an RV that I didn't know. So that's a good segue then into what would you kind of suggest that falls under that annual maintenance schedule that every RV owner should do annually? So the roof is probably number one. Um, you, need to, you need to either climb up there or at least have a ladder that's gonna be high enough to let you look on the roof and be able to look all around at all of the sealants, around the edges, the gutter, the skylights, your fans, your exhaust fans that are on the roof, you need to look at all of that to make sure that that stuff isn't dried out, cracked, and would potentially be a water intrusion point into the RV. Back this up just a little bit. When we got rid of the 87 Mallard, I literally donated it to someone who was going to go in, see how kind of water damage there was. They tore it apart and rebuilt the frame from scratch because there was so much water damage. Okay. So that's, that's probably one of the first things that I always tell people is to make sure you're doing your maintenance on your roof because that water damage is the number one leading thing that will ruin an RV. Are there other things that people should look at besides the roof? Yeah, so as you go kind of along the way, um, electrical is a big deal. Right? You don't want to get shocked. You don't want loose wires. And an RV going down the road is a rolling earthquake. Things rattle loose. Wires come loose. Um, I always, once a month, will go through and check my polarity on all my plugs. You can get a cheap polarity tester, which tells you, you know, everybody's wired up good. You, your GFCI circuits, they're there for a reason. They're near water, so you don't get electrocuted if you drop that hair dryer into the sink. Always check your GFCIs. Push the little test button. If you have one of the GFCI testers, you can just use that push button on there. All of your outside outlets should be connected to GFCI. All your ones inside near your kitchen sink and your bathroom, the toilet area, those will all be GFCI outlets also. Let's see. Um, propane. I've talked to so many people and I go, when was the last time you had a leak drop test done on your propane system? And lots of people will tell me, what is that? And I have no idea why I would need to have it done. And it's the test that you use with what's called an anemometer and it tests to make sure that you don't have a propane leak anywhere. That is extremely important. Would you notice it? Maybe, maybe not. Will your detector pick it up? That's a segue into detectors. You have lots of detectors in the RV. You have a carbon monoxide detector. You have a propane detector. You have smoke detectors. They all have a half-life. 
It's anywhere from three to five years, maybe a little longer, but that's usually about the time they will either start beeping because they're expiring, or you need to go check the date on the manufacturer of when they were put in place. Because sometimes if you buy a 2018 RV, like the one I'm in now, the propane detector was manufactured in 2016. So by the time I bought this, I'm already two years in. Okay. And that um, propane leak test, the anemometer, I believe you called it. Yep. Is that something uh, best to do to take to your local RV shop and have them do? Or is that something pretty simple that one can do themselves? Um, if you want to learn how to do it, it is relatively simple. Um, you can go buy the anemometer on Amazon or whatever. Um, it comes with a little adapter and you can find all kinds of information about it on the internet about how to hook it up to your stove and the testing you can do with it. It's relatively easy. But if you're don't feel hand, if you're not a handy person, handy man, handy woman, and you're not comfortable messing with propane, then by all means contact either a mobile RV tech or an RV dealership that can come in and do it for you. What about lubing axles? Is that something a customer should do or should they leave it to a professional? If you are handy enough and you're like an auto mechanic, you can go in and do that easy enough on your own. You don't have to pay somebody to do it. Um, your biggest catch is going to be, do you have the tools that will let you jack up one side of your RV? And depending on the size of it, if it's a small travel trailer, it might not be a big deal. If you want to do that on the side of a motorhome, well, you're probably going to need, you know, a pretty hefty jack to make that happen. Slides, man. Slides are a new thing. I mean, for me, I've never had a slide before. So is there any sort of slide, mate, slide maintenance? that should be done? That kind of leads back to um, it that totally depends on the slide manufacturer and in their owner's manual or on online what they recommend to do. Okay. I have Schwintech slides on mine. I read the manual and they're like, okay, you should, you should use this kind of a lubricant on the gear mechanism, this kind of a lubricant on, on the sweeps and, and they lay that all out for you exactly what you should use. So depending on the type of slide, you definitely want to pay attention to what the manufacturer recommends. And then the last kind of specific one, which is probably a big one, and I'm probably about to open up the Pandora box, but what are tips and tricks for keeping rodents and their droppings out of your motorhome, your RV, your travel trailer? Rodent repellent, it's botanical. It's put out by Fresh Cab. Fresh Cab rodent okay. repellent it looks like a white paper bag it is it's and it's basically um it has it's earth friendly right okay. but it, it also it smells really decent because it uses essential oils that mice hate but it smells really decent to us humans and so you just kind of stick that underneath the sinks and in your compartments and anywhere and wherever you think they might be getting in Exactly. And so we're on year three now, and I've not seen any mouse poop in here whatsoever. That is fantastic. Because Now, the other thing, yeah, the other thing I will tell you what we do is we have peppermint oil put in a spray water bottle. And I will, when we pull into either when we're parking at home or we're pulling to a campground, I will pull out the peppermint water bottle and I will spray around the tires and I will spray wherever anything touches the ground, like the electric cord, 
your water hose, spray those areas, ants, spiders, they just entirely hate the smell of peppermint and they will run. Oh, that's so a great tip. Yeah, we've never had ants or spiders in here either. Yeah, so let me, uh, I'll expand on that just a hair when it comes to the mice stuff. Yeah, please. Um, we had rodents that got into our sticks and bricks home. Um, they were squirrels, a family of squirrels decided to move in. And what we ended up doing was sealing with the uh, expanding foam yep. where they were getting in. They just decided to chew through it. Yep. So I contacted somebody and they said, here's what you do. You go and spray the expanding foam and you can use it in your RV too. If you find a hole where they're coming in, use the expanding foam and sprinkle cayenne pepper on it. Oh, okay. They, they go to chew that and they are gone. I and use we, uh, steel wool. Because okay. I had it, I had uh, rodents getting into my sticks and bricks, and so they were coming in through my garage, and I found where they're coming into. So I plugged the hole with steel wool, and then I sprayed the spray foam. So that way, as they nibbled in, then they got to the steel wool, and that they were going nowhere. Yeah, it wasn't tasty to them. Excellent. So yep. yeah, the cayenne's a good idea too. First, what are some common myths that you've heard about RV maintenance? So. I, I think one of the things that I've noticed is that we've talked about um, with some of my clients, their emergency exit windows. And I go, you have them, depending on the RV, you may have one up and towards the front, you may have one up towards the back. And I go, when's the last time you opened them? And they go, well, for what? I didn't have not had an emergency. Why would I want to open the emergency exit window? And there are some manufacturers that they're like a one and done deal. You pull a strip, you open it up, the glass falls to the ground and it's, and it's, it's over folks. Some of them are not on hinges like I have on mine. And I'm like, let me give you an example is when I went and inspected an RV and I could not open the window for fear of breaking the glass. And this one was about 10, 11 years old RV that I was inspecting. And I'm like, if you can't get the window open in an RV, unfortunately, is a tinderbox. They will, if they, you get a fire in an RV, there's like no bother, don't bother trying to fight this. Just get everybody and get out. And if you're trapped where you got a window that's not gonna open, that's not a good thing. So on the humorous side, it's probably the discussions I get into with people about the black tank. Ooh. And there's like, there's like two different schools of thought. You know, my school of thought is, I'm in my RV. If I need to do number one, I need to do number two. I'm going to my bathroom and I'm using my black tank as it was made to be. And then there's the other people on the other side of the fence who are like, I will not put toilet paper. I will not put number two down my toilet tank into the black tank. And I'm like, so what do you do when- Yeah, you, you need, when nature calls. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, what do you do? It's like, well, if I'm at a campground that they go, I will just go use their facilities instead. And I'm like, okay, so let's say you were willing to put number two down to down in the toilet into the black tank, but you're not willing to put toilet paper down there because you have a fear of the sensors getting clogged up. So what do you do with the toilet paper? Oh, that just goes in the trash. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of different. Not something I would have thought of doing, I guess. And But so it takes all kinds when it comes yeah. to RVing as to what they will and what they won't do. We completely subscribe to your theory. 
that was probably <laughs> the whole reason we ended up going and upgrading into a travel trailer to have access to our own bathroom and yes that, with the whole covid thing it just yeah. kind of makes sense yeah we had been thinking about doing it getting a trailer for a while um and looking at it and going to rv trade shows etc but uh covid was probably the that push so yep. for us would you say that the quality of rv manufacturing is better than equal to or less than from when you first started RVing? and i'm talking sweeping generalizations and the reason i'm asking this is because like i said we just bought a brand new 2021 in december um and i spent a good money Mm -hmm. on it and the amount of some things that have been happening I, I don't feel like necessarily should be happening but maybe that's just because that's the nature of the beast and this is a new world for me so i'm just kind of curious what's your take on it as an industry sure so my take and and i will tell you the majority of my rv inspections right now are almost all new units okay and there's a couple of reasons behind that. Um, number one, people were fearful that the RVs were coming off the assembly line way too fast and things were being missed. And in certain cases, they are. I mean, I the worst one was probably I inspecting a brand new RV and the P-trap under the kitchen sink just wasn't there. It was just missing. Oops. It didn't get put on. Now, did somebody have a bad day on the assembly line that day? I don't know. Were there other ones that may from that manufacturer that may have showed up that way? Don't know. But I was just like, uh, guys, because I'm in an RV dealership. I'm like, guys, you need to get a P-trap in here. I can't test the rest of the water system. But I think what I'm seeing is um, with the amount of new RVers and the amount of RVs that are being purchased, quality control might not be as good as it used to be prior to COVID happening. And that okay. things are just being cranked through so fast and so quick. And then you find things that like they can't get a refrigerator or they can't get a stove because the supply and demand is just completely out of whack right now. Right. So they, they'll wheel the, a partial out to sit in the parking lot while they wait on a refrigerator to come in so they can finish building it. It's just kind of crazy right now. With COVID really creating this huge boom in the recreational vehicle market from motorhomes to trailers to, you know, collapsibles and pop-ups, et cetera. Um, what advice would you have to give, to give to somebody who is either considering getting their very first RV or who maybe is looking at upgrading their RV? And I know that's kind of a, a bigger question because it's, are they going new? Are they going used? What kind of trailer motorhome are they doing? But just kind of a general overarching advice would you have about some things to consider when you're looking at either upgrading or first getting into RVing and you're looking to buy an RV? Do your homework. If you look at um, look at various types and models. I know that tends to be a little rough nowadays with the amount of inventory at RV dealerships. Some of them don't have a whole lot to show you, but do your homework online. Look and figure out what you want. I mean, before we bought this one, we searched for two years on what we wanted. 
We knew we were going to go with a Class C motorhome. I said we had to have a generator. The wife said we had to have a bunkhouse for the grandkids. Mm-hmm. So we had to be able to sleep more than just two or four people in it. Um, just do try to figure out what you want and do your homework to figure out if you can find a floor plan or a model that'll fit what you want, whether it's an upgrade or a brand new one. Okay. And that actually, that's, that's great. Cause that goes in line. I mean, we, I probably looked for a year and a half, two years myself looking, I was watching YouTube videos of just various different RV dealerships across the United States doing their walkthroughs and this and that. And so, you know, we knew looking at, I was pretty sure what model number we wanted. We had walked a trade show floor pre-COVID in 2019 and looked there. But in 2019, I hadn't done all of my research on my truck as far as what can I tow and really done the deep dive into, you know, weights and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I that's that makes great sense. We I pretty much knew before we went to the dealership to buy what we were going to end up with and what was on our list and what was yep, going to work. That's the best advice for sure. Do all of your legwork up front. That way, when you get to the dealership, you don't have a sales guy going, this is what you want. Now, he, he, doesn't necess- he or she doesn't necessarily know what you want. You need to know what you want. And you yep. can tell them, this is what I'm looking for. Yeah. What Are there other resources that have helped you? Places on Facebook. There were some groups. RVing for newbies on Facebook was one. Um, there were last... I looked, there was like a hundred thousand people in there and they were asking all kinds of questions and all kinds of answers were being brought. Keep in mind, people mean well, but they might not know what they're talking about when they answer something for you. Do your homework, you know, look at your owner's manuals, talk to your owner, your RV manufacturers, see what they say, see what they recommend. If you've got somebody who's an RV aficionado, who's got years of experience, contact them, make them your friend, ask them the questions that need to be asked. Now, one thing that I will add here is that um, since I have such good response to the book and people talking about essential info, what I've done is I am starting to develop courseware for people who are new to RVing, starting with a, uh, um, my domain is rvingfornewbies.com. On there is the beginning parts of all of the outlines of the courseware. The first four courses will be free for anybody that wants. And we're going to talk about RV terminology and terms. We're going to talk about campground etiquette. Because there's a lot of people who don't realize I shouldn't leave my lights on, you know, blaring at a dark campground where you can't even see the stars because there's all kinds of craziness going on. Yeah. Um, And there will be two chapters on electricity, one on 120 volt and how to not get shocked, understanding things about what's called a hot skin condition. And we'll be talking about batteries for 12 volt stuff. Do you have maintenance free batteries? Do you have ones you have to add water to? Because the maintenance list just goes on and on and on when it comes to RVing. Yeah, speaking of the DC batteries, how often should one be checking the fluid levels in their batteries? Yeah, I check mine uh, every other month. And you just want to make sure that you've got um, gloves on and eye safety goggles so that when you pop that lid off, if any of that battery acid comes flying out, it's not going to to hurt you. But normally, if you pop that 
cap off. It's a, it's a battery that has maintenance that needs to be done. You pop that off, you kind of take a look down in the hole. If the water's all the way up to the top of the cells, then you're fine. You don't have to do anything about it. But those type batteries, the water will boil off when they charge and you will kill the battery if you don't have enough water in there. Now, toolkits. <laughs> yes. Let's talk gear for a minute. Uh, right. if, if you were to put together an RV toolkit, like what are kind of those necessity toolkits that you think she, every RVer should have in their kit? Yep. So you'll want for an RV at a bare minimum, you're going to want multiple set of size of sockets, open end, closed end wrenches of various sizes. Um, you can sometimes get away with a crescent wrench. Are they or, both metric and uh, standard? So should you just have both in your toolkit or do you think RVs are more one over the other? They're probably, well, I would love to say they're one or the other. But I think what I do, I carry both just because I never know what I'm going to run into. Because yeah. if you have something that's manufactured outside of the United States, it's probably going to be metric. If it's here, it may or may not be um, standard American. Okay. So, but yep. So sockets, possible crescent wrench, and probably at the top of the list is a volt multimeter. Yeah. Okay. I can't tell you how many times somebody will go, I don't see that my battery doesn't seem to be working or I don't see that the lights are all dim in the RV. And my first question to them is, do you have a voltmeter and what is the voltage of your batteries right now? Because then you have to go and figure, okay, is it the battery that's dying or is it that your converter is not charging your battery anymore because it can't because the converter's gone bad and can't charge the battery, or is it trying to charge the battery and the battery's dead, so it's not accepting a charge? So when it, electrical tends to be probably at the top of my list, and having a good voltmeter that can read both DC for battery, AC for your household-like type outlets, mm -hmm. those are probably the, between that and the tools, those are the biggies that I end up. Let's talk okay. RV generators. What RV generators. Okay, so... You, when you either buy an RV that has a generator on board or like my old RV, I had to buy external generators. Yeah. So you need to know how many amps your RV is going to pull. If it's a 50 amp RV, keep in mind that that's 50 amps on two different wires. It's really 100 amps is what your RV is. Okay. If you have a 30 amp RV, it's 30 amps coming across one single wire. So it's truly a 30 amp RV. So normally when you have an RV that has a generator on board, like in my 30 amp one, I have a 30, I have a 34, 35 amp RV. So there's a little extra play. Um, when you buy a RV that has 50 amp electrical requirements, your RV generator may or may not be a hundred amps because a 50 amp RV is, like I said, two wires of 50 amps. So maybe somewhere between 50 amps and 80 amps or something to that effect. Sizing is the important thing. I know with my 30 amp RV and an over 30 amp generator, I can run everything. I can run my air conditioner, anything that would normally run on 30 amps, I can run off of my generator. Now here's the big catch with generators. They need to be exercised on a regular basis. In a regular basis, based upon an own-in generator that I have, is they say 
run it for one hour a month at 50% load. Okay. So a 30 amp generator, I should be running something that's going to pull about 15 amps for that one hour. And a space heater usually does that just fine. So that's okay. what I do in the winter time in Ohio, I, because that's where I'm based out of. I will come out here in the middle of January when it's negative 10 degrees and there's snow on the ground and come out and exercise the generator. Now, the one, the two things that I will do when we close it down for the winter and we winterize it, I add fuel additive because this is a gasoline generator. My mobile home is a gasoline. I will add fuel additive to the tank because it pulls it from the gas tank. And I will also add this stuff called seafoam. And seafoam helps keep carb my carburetor or fuel injectors from getting clogged up with fuel sitting there for months at a time and not being utilized. And are you using um, stable in the fuel then? Yes, that's yeah, exactly. Okay. That's the fuel additive I put in there, stable. And then I use uh, uh, enough seafoam based upon the size of the gas tank and what it says on the bottom. And okay. I have no problem coming out here in the middle of winter, pushing that button. And it, depending on how cold it is, it might take 15 or 20 seconds, but it fires right up and I have no problem with it whatsoever. And that was the same way with my external generators. Yank them bad boys outside, pull on the pull cord to get those started. So generators, great to have, helps you when you're boondocking or you're tailgating at a ball game or something. But you just got to keep in mind they got to be exercised. So I'm uh, potentially looking at maybe adding a generator. And is there anything one should be considering and looking at when they're looking at potentially adding a generator to their setup? When you're looking at adding a generator, um, a couple of things to keep in mind is you don't want the kind that the guys use at a work site. Yeah, no, I would, I'm looking at the closed inverter ones, yeah. for sure. Yeah, way too many decibels, way too loud. Um, yeah, so when you're looking at those, think about how many amps or how many watts that you're going to be using on a normal daily basis, all right? So if you're out in Quartzsite, Arizona, and you're going to be running, you know, an air conditioner on the roof, their surge, unless you add, do an add-on to it, their surge to start up is usually about 18 to 20 amps. So you, know, you do the math, 18 to 20 times 120 volts, and you see how many watts you're going to take. And that's basically what it boils down to is 120 volts. That's the easiest way to do math. How many amps does something take? Multiply the two out. That's what the wattage is you're going to need for a generator when you start figuring out what your size is. Ohm's law, baby. Ohm's law. Yep, absolutely. Actually, I want to go back to your book really quickly. On your okay. book, how much of it is about RV inspection versus how much is it kind of just a, um, a maintenance book to have as a really good just bookshelf reference? So about 90 pages of the total book is dealing with um, inspections. And the last 30, 30 to 40 pages are uh, essential RV info. Okay, that's so, great. Yeah, so that's how the breakdown is. That's great. Okay. Well, then I guess my last question I've got for you, what's your favorite national park? You know, camping wise, I have not been to one. Well, then where's your favorite campground? 
uh, it is a a mom and pop and that tends to be where we go now is mom and pop campgrounds yep you know 15 20 maybe 30 sites um the one that we like the best so far is one in southern ohio between portsmouth and cincinnati it's called sandy springs campground and uh it was one of the first ones we went to once we got this rv and we just love it down there. It's down on the Ohio River. I can walk from the RV and go down there with my fishing pole. Yeah. And go fish in the Ohio River. I'm originally from West Virginia. I fished in the Ohio River as a kid for many, many years. So that's probably our favorite place. We're scheduled there, I think, three times this year. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, Joe, the RV mentor, author, and NRVIA certified inspector. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us here at RV Out West. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's time for our pit stop, where today we are going to be geeking out on tools. I'm going to share what I have in my toolkit that I use to keep us rolling down the road or when those pesky things in the trailer break or fall apart. I must admit that I'm not a super handy guy, but I'm learning and I think the biggest thing I need to overcome is my fear that I'm going to make it worse. What I need to learn is to jump into a project as the only way I'm going to learn to fix things on our RV is by doing it. So without further delay, here's what's in my RV toolkit. Shortly after we purchased our travel trailer, it became apparent that I should add a toolkit to keep in our trailer full time. I was getting tired of grabbing tools from my garage when we were heading out on trips, and it was just being one more thing I had to load and unload between our home and our trailer. A fellow RVer and friend of ours had an extra tool bag and he kindly gifted it to me. You can follow along on their adventures on Instagram at tracker underscore and underscore jiggles. My first and most cost efficient plan was to go through my tools that were in my garage. What did I have duplicates of? What could I take from there without having to pay to replace? Luckily, I had a fair amount of tools there that I could repurpose for my travel trailer kit. After pillaging what I could from what I already owned, I then turned to the internet to research and see if there was anything specifically RV related that I might need. I had already purchased the deep sockets for my wheel lug nuts and for the anno rod in my water heater. It was a list making time. Just using a pencil and paper, I divided the page up into categories, general, electrical, water, and other, my catch-all for something that might not fit into one of these categories general. Here's where I added both standard and metric wrenches and sockets, crescent wrenches, pliers of various sizes, needle nose, regular, and a big large one, channel locks, hammer, a rubber mallet, screwdriver, both Phillips and flathead. And I included a tape measure and a spare level electrical. My multimeter is my go-to for anything electrical. It is the tool that helps me diagnose what's going on with the electrical. I also have a DC test light, wire strippers and a crimper, and of course, a wide assortment of electrical connections from butt connectors, wire nuts, and more. Then, I have all the spare fuses my trailer may ever need. Water. I've got spare hose clamps. I probably should add some spare length of PEX tubing, but I've yet to do so. I've got O-rings and plumber's tape too. Also in this kit is WD-40, 3-in-1 oil, graphite spray, canned air, duct tape, plumber's tape, electrical tape, epoxy, superglue, zip ties, spare kits of random nuts and bolts, and a spare screw kit. Thus far, 
This kit that I put together, I put together between my existing tools in my garage that I could spare or add to this kit, and then I think I spent maybe 100 bucks at Harbor Freight to round out the others. To date, this kit has proved to have everything I need, and I've been able to address any issues that have cropped up so far. What do you have in your toolkit? What am I missing? Feel free to head over to Instagram or Facebook and leave a comment and let me know. This is by no means the be-all and end-all of kits. I feel toolkits are like always a work in progress and never really written in stone. In our next episode in two weeks, I'm going to do an in-depth review of our Jayco 267 BHSW travel trailer. We have just returned from being a month on the road in our trailer, and so it is a great time to share our experiences with this trailer. If you're looking or considering getting a travel trailer, this will be a great show for you. In the meantime, please be sure to share with your friends and family about this podcast and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave this show a rating and a review. If you've not yet subscribed to the show, please do so. That way you'll never miss an episode. Now get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon. Thanks so much for listening to RV Out West. Join us again in two weeks with our next episode. Please like and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you choose to get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And I sure would appreciate if you left a rating or a review of the show. Special thanks to Scott Holmes Music for providing the intro song, We Are One. RV Out West can be found on Instagram and Facebook where you can interact with us and follow along on our RV adventures around the Pacific Northwest. So get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon.